Welcome to the third episode of Three Girls, One Newscast, Season 2. I am Amy and I am joined by the two Canucks who are both actually in Canada right now, Lubna and Emily. We are ready to share the stories that you guys may have missed in mainstream media or things that may not always show up on your For You page on TikTok. So we're currently all in different time zones, which is exciting. So tell me, guys, how is it there in the past? What's happening? Um, yeah, I, I don't know what you know that you're not telling us yet over there in the future. What what's going on? Is, is it exciting over there? Has have do we have flying cars yet? Um, the laws, uh, the laws of time travel per, permit do not permit me to. Oh, you can't uh, disclose tell it. you the. Tell you what's going to happen. Yeah. Not disclose it. That is and awful. It sucks for me. Yeah, sorry guys. I'm the farthest in You're the past. even further. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you. Here in the future in Canada, you know, it's still bad. Still sucks. Oh yeah. Don't We're still so bad people over here. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Damn Nothing it. has changed. <laughs> let's uh, let's dive right into it then, shall we? The headlines. So, if you didn't already know, which means you weren't paying attention, go back to episode one or two of this new season and listen. But we are switching up the format and sharing headlines and breaking down some of them in this segment. Take it away, Emily. A man in Beijing died after downing a 1.5 liter bottle of Coca-Cola. He died of a fatal gas buildup. Coincidentally, Fatal Gas Buildup is the name of my next Edinburgh show. Good news for Alabama. They managed to deal with the COVID pandemic so well that they're using the federal COVID relief fund to build new prisons. Now, you might be asking, how many prisons are there in Alabama? Well, so far, there's five federal ones. County ones? No idea. Two of the five federal ones are actually called camp prisons, but I doubt it has to do anything with summer camp. Well, responding to the criticism, the governor of Alabama said, the Democrat-controlled federal government has never had an issue with throwing trillions of dollars towards their ideological pet projects. And so this is, I guess, in retaliation. She does admit that the prison system is broken, but building new Building new prisons provides an Alabama solution to this Alabama problem. Isn't that what they say at family reunions? (laughs) What is an Alabama solution? What would we call that? Wincest? I don't know. Sleeping with your cousin. What? (laughs) Yeah, I was was going to say that. Just say it. It's Alabama. They always don't get shit on all the time, so it's fine. It's horrible. Incest. Taking your shirt off and sitting Mm -hmm. on your front porch. That's that's an Alabama solution. <laughs> Want to look like Kim Kardashian? Well, that was a very weird segue there, wasn't it? <laughs> well, well, now you can, as her 2021 Met Gala outfit is now a Halloween costume. Yandy, the lingerie shop, is now selling the black dress and black face covering the reality store star wore to the gala. Side note, her $10,000 ponytail is not included. First of all, that's already a Halloween costume. It's the Grim Reaper. Second of all, (laughs) why is it in a lingerie shop? If you showed up in, like, you were having, like, a sexy night and you showed up in that as your lingerie, you'd walk in and your partner would be like, bah! (laughs) (laughs) 
like, oh, oh my God. God. Yeah, no, they, they, they specialize in lingerie and sexy Halloween right. costumes. Yes. Yeah. So like a very niche market. Looks from beyond the grave. Yes. <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> horrifying. They specialize in the Peter Pan Shadow Collection. Um, <laughs> so, extinct, extinction of indigenous languages has already led to the loss of exclusive knowledge about medical plants, or medicinal plants, sorry. Uh, 20 bucks says one of them would have cured COVID. So this study comes from the University of Zurich in Switzerland, and it showed that a large proportion of existing medicinal plant knowledge is linked to threatened indigenous languages. Um, so I just like wrote a couple of stats that uh, I'm not sure that I'm going to read out because it's a little wordy for the podcast, but we will link the article in the show notes so you can read more about it. But um, basically over 12,000 medicinal uh, uses for nearly, well, just over 3,500 uh, species of plants are linked to 236 indigenous languages. So uh, some of these are linked to only one language. They're from different regions, so Northwestern Amazon, New Guinea, and North America. And uses for these plants, because they were just linked to these languages that are now going extinct or already are extinct, we have no idea the uses of these plants and may never know again. So this is uh, just more proof for how effing stupid we all are. I didn't know if we could say the F word, so I decided not to. And how stupid culture side is, putting aside the whole genocide that we committed for the moment, um, culture side is so damaging and it's not just for the culture that you are slaughtering, uh, but it's for your own as well, because these are all things that could have really helped people and now they're just gone because we are ignorant and stupid. I know those are the same thing, but come on. Um, also, today, the day of recording, is Orange Shirt Day, which, if you're not from North America, is on September the 30th. And it's um, a national day for truth and reconciliation to honor the survivors and victims of the residential school system if you don't know about that, you know, you can read about it. Orange shirt. I think it's orangeshirtday.com. Um, so basically it's, it's, you wear an orange shirt and you're forgiven for the atrocities that Canada committed against the indigenous people. I am wearing an orange shirt because my mom was wearing one this morning and it's, you know, to raise awareness. Horrible things. Horrible things. It's, um, it's interesting that you brought up this one in the headlines because I read I read a, a BuzzFeed um, article about um, a I think it was Canada First Nations and they were revealing like how expensive things are on reservations oh, and preserved yeah. land. It's crazy. It was like fifteen dollars for strawberries or something like that, and which is just insane. Mm. Um, so I think it's just interesting that you. Maybe somewhere in my subconscious, I knew that it was going to be Orange Shirt Day, and I read this yeah, article. Yeah, that's um, that's true of uh, like just up north in general as well. The territories, which mm. a lot more like First Nations people live up north, and 
part of that is reservation areas. But yeah, it's like, hmm, interesting that these coincide, isn't it? Ridiculous how mm. expensive it is. It's like, yeah. There are a lot of um, really interesting documentaries, and I don't know if they're still there. I remember watching them like um, five, six, seven years ago on the National Film Board of Canada, which, by the way, does phenomenal, phenomenal documentaries. A lot of it, which at least um, demonstrates a lot of like Indigenous voices, and they talk about how there is food scarcity up north, and that primarily has to do with, like you said, Emily, culture side. So losing your Indigenous and traditional way of living. Um, some of it has to do with animal rights activist groups who don't like Inuit people hunting their traditional food sources, which are whales and seals and things like that. Um, and then also just relying on fast fast food, so a lot of packaged food. And so, for example, I remember one time reading this article about a woman who bought her young children Coke rather than milk because Coke was significantly so cheaper. cheaper than milk. I think milk was like 15 bucks and Coke was, you know, three, four dollars. So, and we still haven't done that. Another thing to culture side is, um, I would say like colonization of indigenous, tr of um, an indigenous knowledge through just like big pharma companies. And this is like really prominent in parts of Africa and India where, you know, you'll have traditional medicine um, that is now trying to be bought out by big pharmaceutical companies. For example, the neem tree at one point, this like big pharmaceutical company wanted to copyright or like trademark the neem tree so that indigenous farmers can no longer grow it. And thank God there was a phenomenal activist there who, who stopped it. But you can see that like, th this is a big issue and it just, it kind of spider webs into everything else. A U.S. top a top U.S. general says their presence in Afghanistan was a strategic failure. Speaking to the Senate Armed Services Committee, General Milley or Miley, I have no idea, said the war in Afghanistan did not end on the terms we wanted. So first, when was a war anywhere ended on ideal terms and conditions? Secondly, was the death toll not enough for the U.S., or are we still just going to call that collateral damage? And third, what exactly did the U.S. help for? I mean, what was their ideal ending to a war? And the general's major concern? Damaging U.S. worldwide credibility. Who's going to break it to him that the U.S. lost their credibility a long time ago? A proposal is currently underway to give U.K. employees the right to request flexible working conditions, such as working from home. Under the new legislation, bosses have to provide reasons why requests are turned down, but critics say that employees should have the right to work from home, not just to request it. A man accidentally stabbed an 11-year-old while trying to scare him in a haunted house. Yeah, accidentally. The, the kid's fine. Calm down. Today, September 30th, marks the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation that honors the children, survivors, families, and communities affected by residential schools in Canada. So this is just building off of what Emily spoke about earlier. It is a national statutory holiday, but don't, don't think that it's anything like Thanksgiving or, or Christmas. It's only encouraged by the federal government to be observed by provinces. So federal or provincial companies or organizations observe this day as a day off, while private school, private companies don't have to follow it. So this means that some businesses are going to give employees the days off while others simply overlook it. Now, first and foremost, I'm not First Nations, so I can't speak as a voice of authority on this subject, but I do have some major criticisms about this holiday. 
first. This holiday or, and, or this day marks a public commemoration of the history and legacy of residential schools that remain a vital component of the reconciliation process. For context, residential schools have existed for over or had existed for over 100 years. It was first established in 1880 and the last school closed in 1996. To give you an idea of what happened in 1996, Bill Clinton was reelected. Shaq made his debut at the Lakers. Kobe was termed the youngest player in the NBA. And the Spice Girls released their first album. So while you might think residential schools are just a thing of the barbaric past, they weren't. As people danced to J-Lo and NSYNC, young Indigenous children and families were suffering from continued inter- intergenerational trauma. Can I, Sorry, can I just... But in as a UK person, could you yes. um, just explain what residential schools are? Oh, yes. I'm so sorry. I overlooked it. Yeah, I definitely will. Okay. So, and I'm, I did link something in the show notes so that you guys can go ahead and read more about it. But residential schools essentially were um, schools that were set up by Christian missionaries across Canada, all across Canada, with the purpose of providing a Christian education to Indigenous children, which exactly what it means is assimilating Indigenous children to a European and Christian lifestyle. Now, more often than not, children were forcibly taken away from their homes or Christian missionaries would go to Indigenous parents and fool them about the, the schools and and tell these families that your child would be fed, would be taken care of. And this was also during a time where there was a lot of suffering and poverty amongst um, Indigenous communities because of being colonized. And so they really they really had no choice but to, pr- to give their children to these schools under the idea that they were going to be taken care of by the church. What ended up happening was nearly a century worth of child abuse, sexual and physical abuse, a lot of children um, wore their their hair was cut off, and hair is a sacred um, aspect of Indigenous life. They lost their Indigenous language. They were forced to relinquish their heritage and their identity, and a lot of them died. And the reason why we are now celebrating September 30th isn't because the government's seen the light, or we're trying, we're finally making amends, and we're finally actually doing a reconciliation process. It was because earlier this summer, a excavation revealed over 700 dead bodies of children who suffered from residential schools. It, the reason it's Orange Shirt Day is because of Phyllis Web- Webstead. Is that Phyllis Webstead, who was uh, stripped of her clothes when she entered a a residential school in the early 70s and they took her new orange shirt to wear to her school because they thought when they were going to residential school that they were going to school you know um and she had this new shirt that her grandmother had given her and they never got any of their items that they arrived with back and it was sorry it's so it's like to symbolize everything that was taken away from them uh, when they first entered, obviously encompassing everything like languages, like culture, like hair, like everything that made them, you know, that they were celebrating their culture. Everything that celebrated their culture was taken away from them. So that's why it's orange. Um, also, I don't know what it's like in Alberta, but Orange Shirt Day is not like you don't get the day off, you go in 
that's the whole point of wearing the orange shirt is you go in and wear your orange shirt and um so my mom is a teacher and uh, the whole day is dedicated to learning about it and that is that is the point um and then all pretty well all through september there's a lot of learning about um the atrocities and um and celebrating indigenous culture and celebrating uh like books that are written by first nations people and that sort of thing so like in ontario it definitely the the point of orange shirt day is to learn about it however not everybody does it like that because it's up to the provinces what they do with it yeah in alberta so 100 percent is the opposite i will say that like alberta um ontario and bc and as of late ontario has done a better job about about actually acting on awareness about indigenous history and the crimes committed against the first nations communities alberta is so fucking behind you guys so I said the effort. Yeah, but we did commit worse things. <laughs> the last residential school closed in Alberta in 96. So like, um, so in Alberta schools, I actually believe schools are actually given the day off. My thing is like um, this holiday only, this holiday, I'm calling it a holiday because it's like a I national know, statute or whatever, only pays lip service. And it actually doesn't make people think about the horrors that happen because they don't care. Let's be real. Uh, it, this is the truth. People don't care. Most Canadians have no idea about residential schools. You know, I had a conversation with someone who told me, why did they just give their kids away if they knew this was happening? Oh my God. Another person told me, we never learned this in school. So you can see that there is a lot of ignorance. This holiday is not going to fill the gap, which gives me, which comes to like my last point, which Emily, you know, you showed me the Ontario perspective here in Alberta. It's very different. I was quite lucky to learn a lot about Indigenous history growing up. Not enough, by the way, but somehow I had some phenomenal teachers who did it service and then i just kind of filled in the gaps as i grew up but um the horrors of residential school should not be commemorated by this kind of like day off with students okay it should be a day of learning and education because children are the ones who spread awareness they're the future of tomorrow gen z is doing just as great a job as millennials about making changes in the world and so here's my thing if we can run around in circles raising money for a white man that died of cancer 40 years ago which aka is the Terry Fox day, which Terry Fox run, which I'll explain to you in a second, Emmy, then schools can take the day to educate children about the 150,000 souls that suffered in residential schools. It, there's, it's a no brainer. And to talk about Terry Fox run, essentially in 1981, there was this man named Terry Fox who was diagnosed with cancer. He was like 20 something. And he decided he, his leg got amputated. And he decided that he wanted to raise money for cancer. And so what he was going to do is he was going to run across Canada. So he like started his journey and started running. And then obviously he yeah, died. He got two thirds of the way really through. By it. And then his cancer came back yeah. and he died. So every yeah. fall around the same time, actually, uh, every single is, yeah. school goes out and does a Terry Fox In run Canada. and raises money for cancer. Which is amazing, yeah. right? But, but if we can do that then every September 30th, you can have the day for education and probably raise money for exactly. compensation. Yeah. For I'm, I'm going to, I don't want to be too critical in the sense that I, first of all, this, this day was um, proposed by a First Nations um, member of parliament in Saskatchewan. Okay. I think two couple of years ago. And it was passed unanimously as a federal statutory statutory holiday. So I want to say these are kind of baby steps. And I don't want to be too critical. I'm hoping that like 
there's going to be some more change coming forward. And this is just the first step. But like, I still believe schools need to do more in educating them because you can't have kids walking around being like, I didn't know it existed. Why are we wearing an orange shirt? Spaghetti, tagliatelle, penne, and now uh, cascatelli. That's right. A new pasta has been created by the Sporkful podcast creator, Dan Pashman. He says he's created the new pasta because other pastas just weren't perfect. Uh, You can pre-order the pasta, I'm guessing only from the US, so sorry, everybody else, uh, from a Brooklyn-based pasta company, Sfloglini. Oh my God, you guys, I'm going to New York in a couple of weeks. (gasps) I will get us some Brooklyn pasta and I will bring it back to you, Amy. I can ship some to you, Lubna, and then we can have a night of pasta taste testing. Oh my God, I would love love that. that Right. (laughs) <laughs> um, so guys, the body of a 70 kilogram grizzly bear found in Canada was killed by a goat written by Stephen King. Well, um, I'm going to bring some good news. This story fills my heart with joy and I wish that the system was adopted everywhere. So a U.S. teacher has come up with a system to help students deal or to help deal with students who might be having a hard day. After attending a trauma workshop, Rachel Harper found the perfect phrase to implement in her class. Parents simply have to text her, handle with care, and Miss Harper knows that that child just needs an extra, like a little bit more TLC that day. There's no need to explain what's going on, but it helps Miss Harper adjust to the student without throwing the whole class off. And I wish that we could do this in the adult world as well, because I know that there are days where I could use some extra TLC and I would want to be handled with care. Well, seeing as two out of three of us are in Canada, my breakdown today is about Vancouver, where a new rescued rescued food market is opening up on the 1st of October. Uh, so that will be after this uh, episode goes out. So if you're in Vancouver, head down to um, Rescued Food Market. So some of you may have heard of these already. It's essentially a supermarket which stocks surplus perishable foods. Rescue Food Market, like I said, is the name of the store and it says it's open to everyone regardless of income and operates on a pay what you feel policy. This comes as charity Food Stash Foundation collects 70,000 pounds of food a month that have been wasted from retailers, grocers and farmers in Canada. The UN has reported that household food waste in Canada is 20 kilograms more per capita than the US. But not just to shame Canada, the UN also says that 17% of total global food production is wasted, 11% in households, 5% in food services and 2% in retail. Food waste is not just an economic or humanitarian issue, but it's also an environmental issue. When food is left in landfills, it rots and produces um, a lot of CO2. But uh, to be honest with you, I've never been a science reporter, despite my last two breakdowns. My last one's about blood donation. Um, But I just wanted to point out these rescued food markets because we often associate climate change activism slash just generally doing stuff for the planet as something that requires money you know it's it costs more to buy bamboo uh, cups or um you know metal straws but this is the opposite of what rescued food market and others like it are about they are about sustainability and ensuring that food insecurity is a thing of the past i'm shocked that it's that most of food waste is from the household 
Because yeah, A, me too. I never waste food. I eat everything. And B, yeah. I have been in like food service so often and just watching the food that gets wasted makes me sick. I'm like, oh my God, like yeah. so much food goes missing, especially when I was a, um, a butler, when I was like, which a butler is basically a server, but you can't talk to people. And like watching all of the rich people just like not eat and throwing out all mm. of this food made me so sick. So seeing that it's like less than half of household waste is shocking. So I am going to put a bit of a warning here about this statistic because it was very confusing on the UN's website. Globally, around 14% of food produce is lost between harvest and retail. Right. While an estimated percent of total global food production is wasted. So basically in harvest and retail, 14% of, I guess, the food that's harvested... The, it was oh, really confusing. It's a confusing okay. statistic. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So oh. that's why I just put the 17% of total global food production is wasted. I'm surprised by the Canadian statistic. I would always expect that Americans mm. like would waste more. Only because also they have a larger population. Unless they're 10 times the population of Canada. So but it says per capita. Oh, was it per capita? Mm, yeah. No. Yeah, it was that, per capita. Yeah, yeah, it's per that's capita. some bullshit, yeah. Canadians. Like... I don't know. Yeah, what the hell, guys? Yeah, I don't know what it's going on. What? We effing love the <laughs> environment. That's why we never elect the Green Party. But anyways, um, what I do when I say to this is, first of all, my sister's in Vancouver. So I'm going to make her go to this place and tell me how it is. Yeah, Secondly, I can give you the address yeah, as well. Yeah, please do. Um, the one thing that really remind, like this reminds me of um, is, well, first of all, I think Europe and UK and the UK are pretty forward thinking in this particular element. Aside from the fact that the UK, for some goddamn reason, uses way too much plastic packaging for all of their produce. I know, it's so um, sick. Oh, yeah. I do think that, like, I like the way idea. Of, I remember I'd go to Morrison's and they would have, like, a box of wonky vegetables for, like, half the price. Mm. I would never buy it because it'd be too many vegetables for me to eat in, like, a, a week. And I hated having to throw that out. Um, because I, I always believe that the world is made up to, like, be beneficial for partners or families of four. And if you fall below that or above it, totally. it just doesn't work out for you. Um, but also yeah. food apps like karma and like a couple of other ones in london specifically where they restaurants will be like okay we haven't sold this today come get it for half off i loved that because i'm like you're not eating stale food or whatever it's like something didn't get sold today mm-hmm. and now instead of paying like four pounds for like a croissant i can just pay two pounds for it and they don't waste food and they make money and i get to eat something that i like without shelling out two extra pounds for it so i wish canada would be would Mm -hmm. do more of that because i do think that food waste especially as you said emily in the restaurant industry is massive and you could you could go ahead and kind of retailers can make money off of it while feeding people so i think this is a good step in the right direction yeah exactly off the record well, so we may be fabulous, but we are mere mortals and we love to share headlines we relate to or we find capture the human experience with our segment off the record. We like to find stories we can connect to personally and then share them with you, our dear listeners. Last week, we talked about shady, unprofessional doctors donating blood and doing drugs, or in other words, a really good weekend. What's on for today, Emily? Okay, so um, this is gonna be a bit of a loose rant. I was thinking about this last week. Um, As you guys know, we are incredible high-powered journalists. 
Um, we got into it a little bit later in life than some people, but whatever, we still count. Uh, we're just a little new. So I've been, like I've just started working in the world of journalism and I can't get this out of my mind. How are journalists right-wing? Like, how are there any journalists that are right-wing? Okay, I honestly, this is a real question. This is not me being like an uppity liberal. I genuinely want to understand if someone could sit me down and explain why they are right-wing in a way that makes sense and doesn't make you sound like a psychopath, I would love that, okay? I really, really want to know. Because you're a journalist, you, you sit down and you watch the press conferences, so you can see, like Joe Biden say, you have to have a vaccination to go to work or get tested, and you just ignore the second half, and you're like, he's trying to make us stick things in our bodies. And it's like, mm, he wants you to. But there's also an option to get tested if you're going to be a psycho. So how is that taking away your rights when he wants to see if you have a deadly disease before going to work and giving it to people that could die from it? I just don't understand how people can be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna go with the right-wing view on this. It doesn't make sense. You, you, you see the sources firsthand. You get to see the statistics. You, you read facts. You, like, how can you just... Before, before Brexit, people predicted the economic and social impact of it. And right-wing journalists said, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. Now there's no gasoline in all of the UK. You know, like, how, how do they see this happening? And they're cool with it. And not only are they cool with it, but they promote it to the people that they're doing the news for. <sighs> how can you see the, the breakdown of the average cost of life for people and then you see a minimum wage, and then you go, yeah, let's keep doing that. I don't get it. I can't, I don't, I don't get it. How can you be so aware of what's going on and ignore it and go on Fox News? I don't understand. I feel like we are Guys. the worst people to face this question to, because <laughs> we're just as left-wing as you. you. <laughs> Um, I know, I know. Yeah, but I seriously, so I, I, it, 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 am I no, I do understand what you, what you mean. I've definitely have thought about it. And when you when you're talking about right wing, are you specifically talking about Fox News? Because I think that there is a difference between Fox News and like, well, yeah, the Times. Okay, I don't because I'm not I'm not I'm not just talking about like right wing propaganda like mm. Fox News, Rush Limbaugh like those kinds of people because obviously though I, I do think they're mm. putting it on a little bit because I don't think anybody can actually unless they're sociopaths I don't think anybody can actually think like that I do mean I do mean just right wing in general one word that came to mind really is just confirmation bias right like I think that 
to answer your question, like, why can they look at the facts, right? And then still be like, no, this is fine. It's because somehow, well, first of all, it's selective hearing. Secondly, once they choose a selective fact, they start seeking things that confirm their yeah. bias. So they're like, oh, I'm right. This is the side the liberals and the left wings don't want you to see sort of thing. Um, and third, second thing I want to bring up is just privilege. Like, I think that, and I've talked about this in the other podcast that I had done, but as journalists, we do come from a lot of p- place of privilege, right? And so these guys can talk about anti-vaxxing and, you know, not raising minimum wage because A, they haven't been impacted by the pandemic. They haven't gotten COVID and died or seen family members die. And second, they're not making minimum wage. They don't need to live on minimum wage. So it's easy for them to sit there and be like, you don't really know what's reality. Open your eyes, sheeple, and all that bullshit. But it does baffle my mind. Like, it's almost like when people are like, the sky isn't blue. And you're like, look up. (laughs) Whatever language you want to call it, that's blue. Like, you know, so... I feel, I feel your frustration. I just don't, I mean, yeah. I, I'm not saying that there's not things that I don't criticize about left-wing parties, but left-wing ideals, I don't see how you can't have. Yeah, I know, you know if you're mean? talking about ideals, yeah, yeah, I know what like, you mean. It, mm-hmm. It's only because we're left-wings because, anyway. Because, like, I'm not saying that, like, the Democrats haven't done bad things, or the Liberal Party of Canada hasn't done bad things, or, you know, the Labour Party, because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that went south fast with Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but I don't mean the parties themselves. I just mean, like, how how can you have those views? Like, how can you see something that is being done that is coming from a right-wing view and see the facts and th- still think I yeah, think I'm it's hard this. because none of us have been have grown up with right I'm assuming none of us have grown up in right-wing families but I mean like your your parents because your parents are the ones that instill the values in you but I think that most people um who are staunchly in either way uh, I think it's quite hard to to come out of it and this is why I'm saying it's very hard for us to comment because none of us have grown up in that 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 area so maybe we should get somebody who's right wing on the podcast I actually would love that because I would love to hear their opinions on yeah the same stories you know like that is interesting isn't it okay well I read an article a few days ago when I couldn't sleep in the middle of like 2 a.m I was like instead of going to Instagram gonna read the news and I came across this article that talked about, it's not new news, by the way, but newsflash, sedentism is killing us. And the longer we stay stagnant in one position, the higher chances we have for obesity and chronic heart diseases and a stroke. And apparently, this particular article said that the age group for strokes is getting younger and younger because of how sedentary our lives are. So they're seeing a lot more young people like in their 20s getting strokes. Obviously, the article didn't really provide any context, but to me, I didn't really need any context because I've always been anti-sedentism. I always have hated sitting in one place for too long because I personally feel like my body is just like, just becomes like all flab and grossness because I haven't moved. And it's only worse because of the pandemic, you guys, and working from home. But leading into that, have you guys heard of the term, the great resignation? Enlighten us, Lubna. No, okay. But I like it. (laughs) I like where it's going. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's a millennial thing, first of all. Well, I don't. I don't want to say it's completely millennial. I'm sure some. I'm sure some Gen Xers are actually doing it as well. 
but which poor Gen Xers (laughs) overlook that generation, you know, I know they're basically us. They are. My mom's like, don't love me. And I'm like, I know my uncle tries to be like, I'm Gen X because he's like one year younger than my mom. And she's like, you're a boomer. My my parents are actually both Gen X as well. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. My my dad. Your parents are hot. Uh, my dad is like the year after boomers but he he's probably more of a boomer mentality than my mum but yeah my my parents and my aunts and uncles they're all they're all gen x um well yeah so well anyways the great resignation basically is because of the pandemic and i think a lot of introspection and time for reflection combined with the foreboding sense of not wanting to go back to actual physical work a lot of people are just up and quitting their jobs which ties into what I was speaking about actually earlier before we started recording the podcast. So um, a lot of people uh, are saying that the great resignation isn't just having to do with people not liking their terrible jobs or just being done with working conditions. There's some, particularly employers, who are quite upset. And this primarily relates to, I don't even want to say America, but Canada particularly, about CERB, which was our economic benefits that we got during the pandemic. And so in Canada... If you were laid off because of the pandemic, you could basically receive employment insurance or, or unemployment insurance. But this was particularly because of your job being lost to the pandemic. And because CERB is still into effect, a lot of people aren't going back to work because they're enjoying their time off. Now, employers are really upset about that. They're like, oh, fucking lazy millennials. But I'm just kind of like, how about this? How about you're burnt out? Which is exactly what I want to talk about today is feeling burnt out. So in this Refinery29 um, article that I read, they talked about burnout is super normal. And I hate that we've normalized burnout. And I hate that I'm a walking token for burnout. Take a shot every time I say burnout. But um, one quote that really resonated with me was this PR executive who she said that, I saw a meme that said, if you died tomorrow, your job would be posted faster than your obituary. And I was like, damn, that is so true. When you die, they're going to fill your position faster than you can be buried into the ground before they want to talk about your death and how amazing you were. And I thought, I am literally physically ruining my body for, at this point, it's working out to be minimum wage for jobs that I don't enjoy, for companies that don't necessarily value me, all because I'm a people pleaser and I want to save money and I'm really concerned about how long I'm going to be able to just start stay living with my parents, which by the way, isn't even a big deal, especially in my culture. I can stay at home for as long as I want, even after I'm married, if I want to, but I don't know. I think growing up in a Western world and even having the experience of living alone, I don't want to do that anymore, but um, it really resonated with me. And then another comment on another article, which is linked in the show notes. uh, One of the comments said, People should never accept working conditions that do not meet their needs in the first place. Which I was like, um, privilege much? <laughs> like, duh. It's common sense. You shouldn't be treated less than. You shouldn't work jobs you don't like. You shouldn't do this, that. That's an ideal world. But more often than not, people don't have the choice but to deal with shitty working conditions to work jobs they don't want to do. 
to be burnt out, to have to do X, Y, and Z. It'd be great if people could up and leave. And I think the great resignation is somehow an example of this. And granted, some of these people come from a place of privilege and that's good. You know what? I don't want to, I don't want to shit on privilege all the time, but if, if you have the ability to quit your job, do it, do it for the people who can't. Okay. You don't have to make a big, like, brouhaha about it you can be humble about quitting your job and don't do this bullshit of like i quit my job and now i make seven figures living in bali doing youtube videos that's the shit that i hate but like you know you can quit your job and like we talked earlier emmy about just taking that time to find the job that you like sort of thing so yeah anyways all i want to say is like i'm i'm freaking burnt out and i've been running on adrenaline since i came back to canada in july and those two comments really stuck with me like and because i do want to quit my job and because I, I, I specifically chose freelancing to be able to work multiple jobs, but have that ability to work around my schedule and sacrifice an actual proper schedule and benefits and a higher paying salary and a, like a uh, job security to be able to have that freedom of knowing that I don't have to work nine to five every day, but that's not happening. You know, like I think employers are kind of crossing the boundaries a little bit and they take advantage of freelancers. They think freelancers are just like desperate people who they can add more work onto. Cause like, Oh, you're charging a certain fee. And I'm like, no, we charge a certain fee because we're giving up certain rights as employers or employees. So anyways, I'm going to wrap this up. All I want to say is let's normalize quitting your jobs. Like I said, if you're in a position of privilege to do so, then do it. And we can do so without everyone being like, oh my God, what are you going to do next? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Like, I don't know what I want to do. I just need some time to have some decent R&R. And then I'll just figure out the rest when I cross that bridge. If you don't put in the work now, you don't set yourself up for future. If you don't have the the mindful and meaningful rest that you that your body needs, um, then you're not going to be able to to go back into work whether that is doing a job that you really love or you might realize that actually you're fine doing a nine-to-five um job that you don't like because then you can you know have a bit more of a personal life some people are, are like that too as well that that might be what you realize like oh actually career isn't on my mind I just want a job for money um so yeah so I I really like your last point when you cross cross bridges when you come to them don't worry too much about the future I think the last year and a half has shown that health comes first more than anything else. Your health comes before anything else. Ugh, amen. Stress literally ruined my body this year, so. Sick. <laughs> We're fine. Yeah, quit, quit your damn job. I have too many jobs. I keep to, I mean, I should really practice what I preach. I have so many jobs that I need to quit, like half of them. But I'm like, I don't have the money and what if I lose the connections and what what if I shit shut up what if I like just just quit them just do what you like and deal with the debt later (laughs) my two stories uh this so two of my stories this week have been about food and I just wanted to touch on a story that I was gonna put in my headlines but I was like actually no I want to unpack this a little bit more um, so Good News Network is a great site and I get a lot of my sources from them as well. Definitely check it out if you need some more positive news in your life. Um, hashtag not a paid promotion there. Um, so but they posted a story that basically the essence of the headline was that millennials are more adventurous eaters than boomers. 
And so the article went on to quote a National Geographic survey, which interviewed 2,000 Brits about their eating habit. It said that 36% of food eaten by 25 to 40-year-olds is traditional to their own culture. So this is why I was like going to put it in. I was like, this is an amazing, uplifting story. And just as I was about to like write down the headline, attempt to do my attempting to do my best at keeping up with Emily and her funny, uh, funny stories. Um, a thought did occur to me. I was like, what does it mean by their own culture? When they asked 2000 British adults, were they all white? Because this, I was like, let's unpack this a little bit more. And the article never really addresses that. It never says, oh, because I guess the survey is done by National Geographic. Because I was like, Britain, like Canada and America and a lot of other countries um, throughout the world is very multicultural. So what does it mean when they're saying that their own culture? Because personally, as an Indian, I would include eating curry as my own culture. And I'm going to go a little bit off a tangent, but I will come back to my point. Um, white people of England, yes, curry is a national dish, but specifically it is a British Asian dish, the way that curry is served here in, in the UK. Obviously, there's curry that you get from India and um, the rest of Asia, but curry, um, British curry, is a very specific British Asian dish. It blends the the Indian Pakistani heritage of ours with um, us having to make do um, with the coldness and the unable to, you know, heat things properly on a tikka outside sort of thing. Um, so please, curry is not yours. Curry is British Asians. Um, because I have so many friends that love to claim it as their own culture. And I'm just like, you know, um, kind of, I guess, linking back to indigenous people, I guess, is the colonization of food um, in the UK is unreal because it really does bug me. And I think it happens in the US as well. I'm thinking about Mexican food too. Um, but I even have a Jewish friend who's in the US who's like, bagels are uh, her. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, so it just really bugs me when my like white British friends say that curry is an English drink. No, it's a British Asian thing. Mm -hmm. So you know, kind of going back to this article then, um, I think that we should just be um, more aware of just how, like what culture is and culture is different to everybody else. And I think that we should stop. I think we, I think we're in a mentality or we're transitioning from a mentality of black and white into a more nuanced um, thinking across the just across the board and um, culture comes into that because it's not just British culture anymore British culture um is a mix of other cultures as well um but without without getting rid of you know because I'm hearing in my head all the patriots being like England is white because I don't want to take away the the history of this country that is you know predominantly white as well I just want to say a bit about culture coming from an anthropological background, like culture isn't static, you know, it's not like the culture, even if you want to say, what about the cultures now of the early 2000s that like the Gen Zers are going crazy over mm. and it's a fucking Hall Halloween costume now, like the culture of, two th of the early 2000s is not how it is now. So I think, um, Amy, that we can, you can be critical about questioning what 
British culture is, and you can mm. you can demand that it, it be inclusive of the Asian history of like the Caribbean of the African history that comes into it without dismissing history because history is what's staying in history has remained how it is but your culture is always going to change so I think you can have both um and I I do I do get your point of being like don't appropriate don't appropriate our food and then shit on our culture I don't really know what to say but that being said yeah don't don't appropriate don't be like oh well our thing is curry because it's not it's not. Your thing is not curry. Your thing is eating yeah. somebody else's food and claiming it as your own. Yeah. I mean, so I guess true. what is more British than that? <laughs> Actually, that's a very good point. <laughs> What's more British than appropriation? End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, guys, I think that is a wrap. Um, speaking of wraps, I don't know how hungry people are after our food talk. That's amazing. Um, Emily, I hope my uh, outro has been sexy Starving. enough for you Starving. as the producer of this episode. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I feel like, um, I don't know, I don't know if you guys have it did or you if you like guys that? have heard the m and adverts where they're just like, Make it sexy. This isn't just a sausage roll. This is a pastry, delicately wrapping a sausage, only from M&S. There you go. I hope that was sexy and enough for you. Everyone's craving a sausage job. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that voice, that everything. Mm, you need to wrap up quick because I got to go. Um, so, as always, you can follow us on Instagram on our new podcast uh instagram is at three girls one newscast please say hello we want to know what you guys think about our stories um and we will obviously link it in the show notes below along with all the stories we have shared with you today so give us a follow stay up to date and just drop us a dm to say hi we'll chat to you guys next time